Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope that it will encourage you and help you live out your faith in everyday life. Make sure to download our church app by typing Comox Pentecostal into Google Play or the App Store to enjoy more podcasts, Bible resources, giving options, and more. Did anybody notice uh, that at the strike of midnight, as we moved into 2024, advertising shifted online rapidly? Like everything was Pelotons and intermittent fasting, like right right away. Um, And even a few weeks into the new year, there continues to be sort of a lot of health-focused advertising. And if you're on social media or you find yourself online, of course... Uh, everything online is trying to figure out who you are so that they can tailor advertising just for you. So I thought I would share this piece of advertising that was in my social media this week. You can see it right here. Uh, Walk and lose weight on the Jesus trail. Uh, So something about social media thinks of me. You seem to be a Christian and look like you could use a walk for over 60 kilometers, 63 kilometers to be exact. Uh, So I did not click on it, but I did screenshot it and thought, this is hilarious. Uh, Why why all the shift of advertising towards health-related stuff at the stroke of a new year? Last week, we talked about something called the fresh start effect. Behavioral scientists have studied humans, imagine that, and they've found... uh, Scientifically, there's a lot of data that supports this idea that when us as people see the beginning of something new, somehow we find the ability to summon new or fresh motivation for things when we sense something new is upcoming. It could be as simple as a new day, a new week, or a new year. Makes sense, the fresh start effect. So as you came into 2024... Uh, I've talked to many people, and I'm hearing people, they've got some goals or some resolutions for the year. Other people have a word for the year. I was thinking about picking a syllable for the year, but I couldn't really narrow it down. So, But uh, how many people picked the word plateau for 2024? I would just love to kind of plateau. Okay, nobody, not many, hey? Uh, how about decline? That's your word for 2024. Uh, as humans, we really don't pick that word those ideas that often, we are much more inclined to think about growth. How many of you, as you've thought about this coming year, there is some kind of area in your life or relationships that surround you that matters to you that you want to see growth in this year? How many of you would say, well, yeah, of course. And why is that? The fresh start effect. It's a new year. We're like, ah, okay, I've, I've had time to reflect on the past. Now I'm looking toward the future, and I see an opportunity for even greater strength or growth in something. This series is called Healthy, Wealthy, W-E-L-L, and Wise. Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise. It's about how there's an intersection between Jesus and flourishing in our lives for this year. Why are we in a series like this? Not just for the fresh start effect But as a church family, there are seven core values that we embrace in this season. One of them we call holiness. And we start spelling holiness in that context with a W, holiness. Jesus is committed to making you and I whole. He cares about our health. He cares about our well-being. So we value holiness. In other words, we value health, health in relationships, health in our inner worlds, health in our church organization, 
We value health. I want you to turn with me into the book of Matthew. Um, we're going to go to chapter 22 first. We're actually going to look at two places. Uh, we'll end in chapter 5, but we're going to go into chapter 22, Matthew chapter 22. And I want us to consider two of the most important things that Jesus has to say in the whole of the book of Matthew. Matthew is the first gospel or story or account of Jesus' teachings and actions. It's the first one in the New Testament. It's the first in the list of the gospels. As you're turning to Matthew chapter 22, I just want to give you a little bit of context. Um, the first five books of the Bible, are sometimes called the Pentateuch, they're called the Torah, which is the law, the Jewish law. Now, Jewish, ancient Jewish um, teachers of the law became absolute experts in every detail of the law. They counted all the laws. Some people in this room might know how many laws there were in the Torah. Anybody want to shout out an answer to that? 613 to be exact. They went through and counted them all. And then, since they were experts in the law and loved the details, they categorized them. So they had an understanding which of the laws are great and which of the laws are small. Which of the laws are heavy and which of the laws do we consider light? Now, um, because they were so law-focused, law-conscious, they had their 613, uh, if there was anybody who didn't grow up in their Jewish faith but had an interest in Yahweh, God, and kind of wanted to join in the family of faith, it, it was a big learning curve. Can you imagine? Okay, it was 613, i got to keep track of all of this. And so sometimes outsiders, especially in and around the first century, around the time of Jesus, would approach rabbis and ask them to explain the law to them, but do so while they stood on one leg. Can you imagine why? Because they figured, I'm going to get the summary. It's going to be a bit more crystal clear. I won't have to sit through the whole 613 and figure that all out in one moment. Just stand on one leg and tell me what the law means. With that in mind, Matthew chapter 21, uh, 22, verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, so that's another group of religious leaders, the Pharisees, yet another group of religious leaders, got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested Jesus, a rabbi, with this question. Teacher or rabbi, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Remember, they had all the categories, so they were kind of testing this other rabbi. Which one do you think is the greatest? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first and the greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets. So now this is beyond just Torah. Now it's the whole Old Testament. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two Commands. These words of Jesus here in Matthew chapter 22 are echoed in other gospels as well, where he's speaking of what matters most, loving God and loving people, and loving with all of your strength, with all of your soul, mind, and heart. So if Jesus sort of boils all that matters down into these 
Simple ideas of loving God and loving people. How many people would say, well, that's something I'd really love to grow in this year. I mean, if that's a priority to Jesus, I do see opportunity for growth in my life. Anybody? You're with me? Yeah, I, I, would, I need to grow in this as well. Now, how many of us would say, if this is then the great command from Christ, clarifying what matters most among all commands, then could it be said that spiritual maturity uh, is actually deeply connected to loving well? Spiritual maturity is loving well. Fair? Because if we are loving Christ well, if we're loving God well, then we're growing in spiritual maturity. If we're loving others well, then we're growing in spiritual maturity. I want to just think about the categories Jesus speaks of in the gospel for love. Loving with all of our strength, soul, mind, and heart. So when we think of, let's think of strength first. Loving the Lord our God and loving others with all of our strength. Um, it's possible, I think, if you would agree with me, that at times, if something happens to our physical selves, our bodies, it can actually impair our ability to love well. Does that make sense? Let me give you a, a vivid, sad example. Over the Christmas holidays, I got a man cold. Now, uh, it, wasn't by, it was not the worst cold I ever had. Um, it was a, like a 5 out of 10 on a you know, cold scale. But I, it, it exhibited like an 8 or 9, and that's how you know it's a man cold, right? So on the outside, it seems 8 or 9, but you know on the inside, this is probably a 5. Um, my family was very eager for me to get well. Why? Because my body was being affected, and my love was being affected. I wish I could be as happy and delightful as Laura is. She has the opposite experience. She might have a cold that's a 9 or a 10 out of 10, um, but she exhibits it as if it was a 4 or a 5, and she does it with like a 10 out of 10 joy. It's totally unfair um, because I am horrible when I'm sick. And so anyways, uh, I still feel some of the effects of my man cold. Today I woke up with the same neck thing. I don't know. You can Sympathy is appreciated. Send me a card afterwards. Thank you. Um, so if physically we can experience things, be it a man cold or something else, that impairs our ability to love, the other category Jesus talks about loving God and loving people in is with what? Our heart, our soul, and our mind. This is our inner world. Could it be said then that if there is wounding or pain in our inner world, it can therefore impair our ability to love well? Can that? Is that true? It's worth paying attention to. Now, the next question you should be asking is, how do I know if there are wounds in my inner world? Or how do I know if I'm not attending to some of the healing that my soul needs? So I'm going to buzz through a list of things that's going to be on the screen for you to see. Buckle up, okay? You might want to listen up if you find it hard to identify what you're feeling on the inside at times. You might want to listen up if you prefer to ignore emotions like sadness, fear, and anger. 
You might want to listen up if there are things in the past that you hesitate to think about or you resist talking about. Maybe you find it easy to see how others are responsible instead of you. So this whole idea of blame versus ownership. You might want to listen up if the people closest to you observe that you are easily offended or hurt. You might want to listen up if you may be spiritualizing away conflict as a way of avoiding the discomfort of dealing with it. Maybe you at times have found that you have patterns of seeking the sympathy of others for your unresolved hurts. You might want to listen up if when in conflict you tend to get others on your side before or instead of talking with the person you need to. I'm not done yet. We have two more slides of this. You might want to listen up when in conflict you would rather say things about you and they instead of I feel or I felt. You might want to listen up if you resist the reality of your limitations. You might want to listen up if you say yes when you really mean no. You might want to listen up if you rarely ask or imagine how others might feel. You might want to listen up if you get anxious when people are upset or disappointed, especially if it is with you. You might want to listen up if you can't seem to quit replaying what others said and struggle to fall asleep. You might want to listen up if you often find yourself imagining what you wished you had said to someone in that moment. You might want to listen up if you have a need to feel approved by others in order to feel good about yourself or if you want your children to behave well so that others will think you are a good parent. Who's ever thought that? Uh, One more slide to go. We're almost done. Oh my goodness. You might want to listen up if you compare yourself to others and it makes you feel bad. You might want to listen up if you compare yourself to others and it makes you feel good. (laughs) You might want to listen up if you feel the impulse to cover over weaknesses, failures, or brokenness. You might want to listen up if you feel you understand other people's motives without having to ask them. Like if you're really good at mind reading. You might want to listen up if you seek out conflict just for the thrill of it. You might want to listen up if interactions or relationships where you do not have dominance feels uncomfortable. You might want to listen up if maintaining a sense of power or control over relationships or circumstances feels important to you. Uh, And lastly, and maybe most importantly, you might want to listen up if you manage to feel that nothing on this list resonated with you at all. Some of you are going through the list as I'm reading. Well, praise God, praise God. That's not me, that's not me, that's not me, that's me. I think I scored perfectly on this one. This list was for you, in fact. Um, the biggest word you see on the screen in front of you is the word you. It's tempting when we go through a list like this. I should have put this on here. You might want to listen up if, as we went through this list, you were only thinking about others who, I hope they heard that. You might want to listen up because this is for you and this is for me. Pete Scazzaro says this, and it's sobering. It is impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Ugh. You mean that, that means that I can do really spiritual good things but still be kind of lagging in my inner world development? I might actually not be loving well? Yeah. Mm. Scazzaro points out that just as there is spiritual maturity that occurs as somebody develops in their discipleship, There is also emotional maturity that happens in humans. Now, this is not new information. Psychologists have thought about this as well and written about it. But in the context of faith in our church and churches, um, it is important 
because there is a connection between spiritual maturity and emotional maturity that sometimes gets ignored. And when we forget about the importance of emotional maturity, it impairs our ability to love well. And what did Jesus say on one foot about what matters most? Okay, he wasn't on one foot, but you get the point. It's all about loving God and loving others. And if our emotional immaturity impairs that, we've got to give attention to it. Scazzaro does a good job of outlining what a pathway or what different sort of um, segments of an emotional maturing growth path may look like. There's four categories. First category is an emotional infant. An emotional infant experiences the constant need for others to care for you. An emotional infant experiences difficulty describing and experiencing feelings. An emotional infant is impulsive about instant gratification. Others observe attitude or behavior appearing out of control and attempts at manipulation. An emotional infant is perceived as inconsiderate and insensitive. Now, you know, when you think of a baby, very few of us look at a baby and think, you are so inconsiderate, you are so <laughs> insensitive. But the reality is, there are, they are. And it's not their fault, they're still just a baby, right? But when an ad, a person in an adult body behaves like a baby, we start realizing this is not going well. So that's emotional infant. Next would be an emotional child. An emotional child is content as long as things go my way. Parents understand what that's like. Uh, disappointment or stress can cause a rapid unraveling like that. Disagreement or criticism can result in personal offense. Others observe tendencies of complaining, withdrawing, sarcasm, or revenge. An emotional child is perceived as self-centered and unaware of it. Third category is the emotional adolescent. The emotional adolescent is maturing in emotional awareness and growing in connection and listening. Okay, this is good. An emotional adolescent can make quick judgments, unfortunately, and interpretations, unfortunately as well, of people's motives or behaviors. If some of us think back to what you were like as a teen, um, this was kind of natural for you at that point. It was easy to be judgy, easy to understand what other people's motives without, uh, were without having to ask them or listen for what they might be because you knew all the time. Now, while we understand, okay, if a teen is in a teen body with teenage emotional maturity, that kind of makes sense. When we come across adults or when we ourselves as adults behave with like emotional teenagehoodness, it doesn't go well generally. Um, subconsciously, emotional adolescents keep records of love given out and also a corresponding set of expectations uh, and upon others. So I've done this, I've done this, therefore, well, shouldn't you do that and shouldn't this happen then? Uh, emotional adolescents, others observe their tendencies towards avoidance, unresolved hurts, and at times bitterness. They are perceived as both developing and still immature. Now, I mean, this is not fun stuff to go through. Again, it would be easy for us to think about all the people in our lives who are like, oh, I sure hope they're listening up now, or I really should take a picture of this and text that to them. 
Um, but I, I want us to be open to thinking about ourselves through all of this. And here is what we're aiming towards, all of us, growing in all areas of our lives into emotional adulthood. Here is how we would explain that. Respect for others without having to change them. We value people for who they are, not what they can do for me. We take responsibility for our own thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and responses. And others would observe, of emotional adults, an ability to express values, beliefs, uh, and so on, to those who disagree without becoming adversarial. And others feel safe and understood when they're with somebody who is an emotional adult. Emotional adults are perceived as self-aware, stable, and of high character. Pete Scazzaro goes on to say this, when people have authentic spiritual experiences, such as worship, prayer, Bible study, and fellowship, they, mis they mistakenly believe that they are doing fine, even if their relational life is fractured and their interior world is disordered. The apparent progress then provides a spiritual reason for not doing the hard work of maturing. Uh, I think it's helpful that he uses the term hard work. How many of you have gone through something in your inner world, in your life at some point, and it felt like hard work? Yeah. You see, when we're kids, we really like avoiding hard work. And in fact, I think as humans, even as we grow into an, our adult years, we're always looking for a more efficient way to get things done. AI, it's the new thing that can just do it all for us, right? Makes it easier. But there are some things we just simply cannot bypass. We get held up there until we do the hard work. And it almost always is connected to having to face hard truths. I don't like difficult truths. But I continue to have to learn how to face them. Scripture is full of difficult truths. But there's important messages for us to capture from many of these difficult truths. Here's just a few. We learn from the story of Jesus and the man who would not let go. This is the story of the rich young ruler. Do you remember that story? I have a slide of this chart here. We learn from him that we have to go through difficult inner walls in our life and discover things that we must let go of. Remember the rich young ruler? Jesus pointed out one thing that he was called to do and he left sad. That was the moment where he realized, I cannot let go of that. It kept him from continuing to follow Jesus. And if you and I ponder a story like that and then ponder some of our own soul work and journeying in the inner worlds of our own lives, I think we notice too at times there's moments where it's like Jesus puts his finger on one thing. I need you to let go of that. And for some of us, it's as if it's that's so big. I said, Jesus, I could, I could kind of leave you here. I would almost rather go in a different direction. Many of us stay stuck there. But it's a hard truth. We learn from the story of Jesus healing the disabled man. Do you remember the man with the withered hand? It's the story in Mark chapter 3. We have to make ourselves vulnerable. He had the withered hand, paralyzed hand. He was in a synagogue. Jesus was teaching. And he made the man stand up before he healed him. And that really, you know, that, that really mattered. Why did it matter to the paralyzed man that he was asked to stand up in front? Because he was in a religious room 
in a Roman context. Why did the religious room matter? Because the religious people always found a reason to disqualify people, make them unclean. They saw how the law somehow seemed to push people to the outside. And so in the religious context, if it became obvious that he had a disfigured hand, he could be considered an outcast. So that was not a comfortable thing for him just to stand up in front of everybody. And why did it matter that he was in a Roman context? Disabled people were not treated well at all in the Roman world. They were tortured, they were beaten, sometimes they were purchased and beaten for entertainment at parties. Awful. And so here is God in human flesh pointing out somebody with a disability and saying, stand up in front of everybody. Do you think he was eager to stand up in that moment? No, it was an incredibly vulnerable moment for him. But on the other side of that, he found his healing. And we're reminded, journeying through the walls of our soul requires vulnerability, and that is hard. We learn from the story of the time in John chapter 4 when Jesus helps the disgraced woman, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, that we have to face our past and our family history. A key point in her story, her own transformation, and actually the transformation of others, if you follow the whole story, was how Jesus pointed out things in her life connected to her past that she needed to acknowledge. She had to face it. We learn from the story of God meeting Hannah in the midst of her grief found in 1 Samuel that you and I also have to face our losses and feel our way through pain. I would rather avoid it. Thank you very much. And many of us are happy with distractions or other things we can find to numb the memory of pain or the pain itself. But scripture brings hard truth to us, which means hard work for us. We learn as well from the story of Jesus' parable about prayer and awareness. Some of you think, well, where's that, prayer, that parable? In Luke chapter 18, there's a story of a very righteous appearing person praying before God, and then a tax collector who was sort of the outcast of the community. Everybody knew how sinful the tax collector was. And by the end of the story, Jesus' parable, we realize the pe- person who appeared righteous actually was not, and the tax collector had a humbleness of heart that God could work with. And so things are not always as they seem. We should actually examine our well-being. Maybe we should question our well-being at times or second-guess it at times. You hear about gaslighting. Y'all should gaslight yourselves. Am I sure that I'm actually okay? Or is it worth re-evaluating? I want to show you a picture. That's before I got this wig. Um, (laughs) Five years before this picture was taken, around five years before this picture was taken, uh, I was at a a church leaders conference and I heard this fellow presenting there. His name was Pete Scazzaro. And he had a lot of good content to share there. And at one point, as just a little aside in one of his messages, he said, no one in their 30s or younger should be church planting. I happened to be in my 30s, and I was church planting along with Laura and our family in Victoria. I was very offended by his comment. So I did what most people do in that moment. I threw the baby out with the bathwater. After the conference, all the conference delegates and guests were given a free book. Everybody, everybody loves free stuff. Problem was, the free book was by Pete Scazzaro. So I did what people should do in that moment. I thought of somebody who probably would appreciate it, and I gave it to them. I had no interest in the book. Years pass, and here are Laura and I, 
um, in Mexico. Someone uh, blessed us with a great trip. This is a high-end resort. They said, go stay there. We'd love for you guys just to have a great week by yourselves. Our kids were taken care of with grandparents. And so here we are, seven days, paradise. And you might not be able to see it in my face, but I can. I was suffering. It, it was the first time I'd ever experienced anything like this. For those seven days, at least four of them, I was sad just all day long. And I'd, I'd been sad before, but I always knew why I was sad. But that week in Mexico, I had no idea why I was sad. And I don't like talking about sad. And I don't like talking about stress. And so I didn't tell Laura until toward the end of the trip. Finally, I just said, I mean, it's been really nice to be here. We should be so happy because free trip, high-end resort. We'd never be able to afford to go to this place. Our kids are taken care of. We should be having the time of our lives. And I'm sad. And I came home, and I was telling a friend just about a bit of that experience. And he said, you know, when you guys left Victoria where you were church planting, did you ever process, like, the grief of that? I'm like, oh, well, yeah, I sat in a meeting for 45 minutes, and I kind of did a talk with some people about, no, 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 no. Did you talk about what that felt like for you? I'm like, oh, no. He's like, you might want to think about that. Maybe there would be a counselor that would listen to you. And so, uh, within a few weeks, I found a counselor to talk to, and I started just, I just said, listen, here's the story. I was in Mexico, and for most of the time, I was just sad. I don't know why. And so we had a great discussion. And then at the end of the discussion, he said, I want you to journey through something with me, and maybe your wife would help. And he said, I want you to get a book. It's by Pete Scazzaro. <laughs> and it was about emotional health. And so I got the book. We did a series two and a half years ago on emotionally healthy spirituality, and I showed this picture and I showed a video. And some of you will remember it. We've had more than half of our churches new in the last two years, so this will be new for you to see. I'd, I would like you just to see this video with me. As they're gathered together and the Spirit moves in power. It's a move of God, and that's what I think all of us dream about. It's dynamic connection with God. But if that's all that church was, it'd be wonderful but incomplete. And so that's why there's a second story in Acts chapter 2, and it's the best message on earth. It's the gospel of Jesus shared with literally thousands of people, and there's an enormous response. And I think you and I dream together of being part of a day and an age where the same kind of thing happens in everyday life, where the gospel message makes a difference in everyday life. And it did there. And we look at that story and we think, fantastic. Dynamic connection for humanity with God and humanity with one another. That must be all that church is. And as exciting as spirit movement and gospel messaging is with its response, if that's all that church was, it would be incomplete. Because Acts 2 doesn't end there. It ends with a third story. The move of God is looking for a setting to belong in. You may be wondering, what does that message have to do with anything about this message? And what I was preaching there has very little to do. But I just wanted you to see what I looked like hours before 
I had a, a, a very significant emotional collapse in my life. And I had barely slept the night before. I was a few months into decline mentally and emotionally. And I had adopted a mindset somewhere earlier in life where it was just push through hard stuff. Push through, push through, you'll make it. Push through, push through. And I kept pushing through, and I kept pushing through, and I kept pushing through. And that was one of the worst nights of my life. And I woke up that morning, and I knew I had to preach. And there was going to be a couple thousand people that I would see that day. And I didn't know if I was going to make it even through a message. I thought, I might just fall apart right in front of everybody. And I was scared, and I was sad, and I was hiding. <laughs> I hid backstage until it was my moment to preach. I came forward, and I hid again afterwards. And after that second service was done, I went straight to my pastor's office, and I said, I, I've been trying to make it just another day, and I won't be able to. And there was a significant unraveling in my soul that was occurring. And it was connected to years and years and years of me not knowing how to process sadness and me not knowing how to process stress. And finally, whatever capacity I had for those two things filled up and then everything was just at the surface from then on. And for months, I would weep many times a day, every day, for no reason. And it was hard. And the reason I show you the video is so that if you're struggling, you know you're not the only person. And as a church family, we do embrace health for a variety of different reasons. And if you were hoping for a more perfect set of pastors, I'm sorry. But the reality is some of us are really good at hiding how we're doing. And I'm not saying all of us should like corner everybody and say, how are you really doing? Because not every one of us is ready to answer whoever just asked us that. But you need people in your life that you can answer that with. And there is hard work required. Now, that was many years ago. And it took many months and many years of hard work and the grace of God and his healing power and the tremendous support of my awesome wife, Laura. But God heals people. And he helps people. And we never arrive and we're never totally perfect ever. But he wants to help. So if you resonate in any way, if you relate with this in any way, if there are some wounds or something in your life that's unattended to, you might want to do something about that. This message is about Jesus. But it's not about others that you know should really hear this message. It's about you because you need to hear this message. So what are some things you can do about this? Let me give you five things quickly. Number one, DNA relationships. In our church, we talk about four things that we believe everybody is called to. Number one, we're all called to Jesus. Number two, we're all called to Sundays together. Number three, we're all called to DNA relationships. What does that mean? Friendships. Every one of us needs at least one or two or maybe three very close friendships in the same gender as yours 
where there's discipleship, nurturing, and accountability. Some people find this in a small group, but even small groups, you can kind of fake it or hide in a small group. Even outside of the small group setting, you need a few people that you can kind of sit knee to knee with and say, can I just share something about this past week or something, something's been difficult. Could I ask for your help? Everyone needs a couple close friends in their life. They hopefully are local, hopefully they're part of this church, but maybe they're part of another church or maybe you call them once a week because they live somewhere else. Everyone needs to take responsibility for finding who your DNA relationships, who are your DNA friends. Secondly, counseling is a thought. Counseling is a thought. It sure has helped me. My parents, when I was a teen, uh, my mom had benefited from counseling, so suddenly she wanted everybody to have counseling. And I didn't go to youth group because I was too socially insecure and all that. And she said, well, Mike, you're going to have a choice. Either go to counseling or go to youth group. And somehow I managed to get out of both. Ironically, later on, I became a youth pastor, and then I had to go to counseling. <laughs> so she won on both accounts. <laughs> nice to choose it for yourself before you need to. I recommend it. Um, and I also recommend Christian counseling. There's great psychologists and um, people who can help you have tremendous knowledge, but find people who know the Lord. If you're listening for soul-related advice, find people who know the Lord. We can help you with that as a church if you need recommendations. We also set aside budgetary funds to help people who don't have benefits or you're like, I don't know how I can afford the counseling that I need. Talk to us. We'll help you with that. Thirdly, read a book. Um, and on that subject, let me just point something out. Some of us would just go onto Amazon or when you're down in Nanaimo, walk into Indigo and, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure me out on the inside. Don't go to the self-help aisle. Don't go to the self-help aisle. Why? Self-help has become a genre that teaches people that your problems are on the outside of you and your solutions are on the inside of you. Scripture teaches us that the problem is on the inside of me and the solution is on the outside of me and it's found in Jesus Christ alone. Now, uh, it's not just Jesus. How does he work? Through people. You need a connection to a church. You need a connection to DNA relationships. You probably need a connection to a counselor. And there are good resources like great books that can help you in your journeying as well. Here's a highly recommended book called Soul Keeping. It's by John Ortberg. Some of you might want to consider a book like that. Here's a favorite of mine. I think it's just excellent. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. Very helpful. Does good work on the inner part of our souls. And lastly, no surprises here. Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scazzaro. There is no perfect book. There's a few things that I would see differently than Pete in this book, but it has helped me, and I'd be happy to see it help you, which leads to our fourth thing you might want to do. Next week, on Sunday evening, we uh, launch our next edition of the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course. It's going to run on Sunday evenings at, I think, 6.30 p.m. Next Sunday night, you can sign up on our website for it. Our incoming executive pastor, Lorne Wilms, together with his tremendous wife, Heather, who's right over there, are going to be leading this course together. It's a great opportunity for you to get to know them, I guess, as well, but to maybe connect a little better into the life of our church. There's many people that have already signed up for this course. Um, it's a great way for you to tend to the priority of your soul. If you resonated with some things we talked about today, 
I recommend taking the course. If you didn't resonate with things today, you might need to take the course. Um, it matters so much in the life of our church because health is a value that matters so much in the life of our church. And you matter in the life of our church. And uh, it matters enough that as people are moving towards membership, this is one of the steps that we include. Take the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course. As people are moving towards um, more and more leadership in our church, take the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course. Everybody would benefit deeply from being in a group experience with it. I've looked at the list of people who have signed up. And I looked at the list again today. I prayed over every name. I'm so proud of those people who have signed up. And if you've yet to take that course and experience in a group setting, you can sign up today or anytime this week and it begins next Sunday night. Last thing, number five. Remember how I said there was two things Jesus said in Matthew? Listen to Jesus and then look at Jesus. Listen to what he says and observe what he does. Sorry for my leaky nose today. It's not the man cold. Um, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. It's worth us paying attention to the first words Jesus teaches in the New Testament. They're found in the book of Matthew, no surprise there. Um, there's lots of red letters in the book of Matthew. What you're going to find as you flip through the first pages of Matthew is that Jesus speaks in a few different places, but those aren't the first teachings of Jesus. Where do we find the first teachings of Jesus? In Matthew chapter 5, it says Jesus sat down. That's the clue. That means he was into a mode of teaching. That's what a Jewish rabbi would do if he was teaching a crowd. Find his spot and then sit down. That's the clue for us. Jesus is now about to begin teaching his people. And what are the first things Jesus says? What are the first words taught by Jesus? Matthew 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed in this context would mean happy. Or congratulations. If you find yourself poor in spirit, congratulations. The kingdom of heaven is nearest to you. Now in the Greek language, which the New Testament was originally written in, there's two words used for poor. And the first word means you got nothing. You're poor. And what you can do is just work every day, and every day that you work, that's how you earn your essential necessities just for that day. You really have no material possessions. You only work to live. Like you literally just work that shift, and that gives you the money you need for food that day. That's it. And then you do it over and over again the next. That's one of the Greek words for poor in the New Testament means that. The second Greek word for poor is the word tohas. Tohas. And it means so utterly destitute, totally helpless, totally powerless, that your only possible option is to lower your head and cup your hand and beg. And so when Jesus begins to teach, he says, blessed are the tohas, in spirit the people who 
when they walk, they realize in my inner world, I'm bankrupt. My answer is not in me. It's from someone else. So if you've resonated or identified with anything we've talked about today, I think the first teaching words of Jesus are for you. Congratulations. You're human. Congratulations, you're in a church with other broken people. And congratulations, you're the closest to the kingdom of heaven. And how did Jesus demonstrate it? I remember, listen to Jesus, those are his words. What did he do? He followed it up. Look at him in Matthew. Look at him through all the gospels. He would make these announcements. God's kingdom is coming close to you. It's within hand. You could reach it. You can touch it. You can feel it. You could receive something from it. And then what would he do? So often after declaring that the kingdom was coming closely, he would heal people. In Exodus, we learn of one of God's names, healer. And in the Gospels, we see him live it out. Wherever Jesus walks, it's like he can't help himself. He'll start healing people. And I know that he heals bodies. And I know from my own experience, he heals inner worlds too. Would you stand with me? before I lead in a corporate prayer maybe Laura you could just come and grab a microphone and just lead in that chorus if we could maybe together practice tohas just sort of recognizing you know I am poor in spirit this is my pathway to God Laura's just going to lead us in a brief song a chorus of response and if you like you can hold out your hand sort of in a way of just God I receiving the chorus has to do with this idea of surrender and maybe for us that's a fresh thing to consider today or for this year God you know the situation of my heart you know my past my present you hold my future and I'll let go of that and I will surrender so let's sing together and then I'll lead us in a closing prayer i 
as we conclude today, I'm going to call those forward who are on our prayer ministry team. Maybe you're scheduled today. I think today, if you're on our prayer ministry team and you weren't scheduled today, but you're in the room, could you make yourself available as well? Um, I have a feeling that there are some who felt God do something in their heart and they just, okay, and it would benefit you, it would help you if somebody would pray with you today. Maybe you could share that with them. You don't have to go deep into the details of all that it is. You could just say, something about today resonated, I, I, I need prayer. And that, that might be all you need to say and somebody would just love to pray with you specifically today. I want to pray over all of us as we conclude our time together. Father, first of all, in response to your word right now, we give you thanks for how you speak to us and how you're active in our lives by your spirit, with your word, and through a church family. And I'm praying for those in our midst today who are experiencing a struggle. Maybe there is something that needs attention in their soul, and today they're, they're opening their heart to that. We welcome you into the ongoing healing of our souls. We want to we wanna grow in our ability to love well. Help us in our emotions. Help us with emotional health. Help us with mental health. Help us in all areas of our lives. Father, there would be some today that you're speaking to about even taking the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course. There are some who would, there's just a hesitation or a nervousness. They're just, they get anxious as they think about I just who will be in the room or what it'll be like. Father, give the courage that they need to take the step that you're calling them to. Father, now as we go into your world on your mission, the same kind of love and healing work that you're bringing into our lives is the very thing that we want for the community that surrounds us, for the Comox Valley. So would you enrich our lives with your spirit, with others as well in this church community, that we'd go into your world on your mission, bringing your message and ministry into the everyday stuff of life right here in the Comox Valley for your glory and so that others could experience your healing and wonder too. We pray this now in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. I, I heard that was a bit more of like a soft, somber amen. Amen. So I apologize if I ruined the mood. But um, if God's at work in your soul, please just stay in this room for a few moments and uh, worship if you like or receive prayer or turn and pray with somebody or you're blessed to go. Head out, lobby out, head out into the lobby, head outside if you want to. It's very cold, but enjoy it. God bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged you as you live out your faith in everyday life. Make sure to download our church app by typing Comox Pentecostal into Google Play or the App Store to enjoy more podcasts, Bible resources, giving options, and more.